One of the things that gets me really excited about 21st century HR is when companies are willing to open up their playbooks and share how they do what they do. And not just the results, but the journey and the stumbles and the pitfalls and the inevitable uh, scrapes and bruises that lead to that innovation. And today's episode, I'm really excited to speak with the Chief People Officer of SurveyMonkey, Becky Cantieri, and we're going to talk about some of the innovative work that her team is doing at SurveyMonkey, but also some of the open source approaches that they've taken to work, including a new approach towards the performance management and so much more. So we're going to dig into all of that after a brief word from our sponsor. 21st Century HR is a podcast exploring how to build better businesses through modern people practices and approaches. It's brought to you by my firm, Amplify. Amplify provides HR executive search and strategic consulting services that help companies build better organizations. From employer brand development and execution to global talent strategies, Amplify develops custom solutions that help clients from Hootsuite to SpaceX optimize their recruiting capabilities. Amplify also hosts a new community for HR leaders called The Ecosystem. The Ecosystem was designed to bring modern HR leaders around the world together to share ideas, inspiration, and support. Learn more at AmplifyTalent.com. Hey everyone, welcome to 21st Century HR Podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt, and I am thrilled to be joined today by SurveyMonkey's Chief People Officer, Becky Cantieri. You know, if you follow the field of open source in HR, chances are you've probably come across a SurveyMonkey template. Um, They've done a tremendous job over the last couple of years of really working out loud and sharing uh, not just how they're using their own tool internally, uh, but how they're using it to build templates and tools and resources that are really additive to modern HR. So Becky, thanks so much for coming on the show. If you wouldn't mind, why don't you give the listeners a brief introduction and background on you? Hi, Lars. Thanks so much for having me. I'm um, thrilled to be part of your your podcast today and to share a little bit more about the work that we're doing at SurveyMonkey. Um, to introduce myself, I'm Becky Cantieri. Um, I am, as you mentioned, the Chief People Officer here at SurveyMonkey. Um, I've been with SurveyMonkey um, since 2011, so almost eight years. Um, and it's been an um, amazing journey and amazing experience. And I'm excited to share some of the work that we're doing here. So great. So uh, I have so much I want to explore with you. Before we get into some of your programs, um, why don't we just set kind of a baseline of how your team is structured for the listeners? How is your your kind of people team uh, orchestrated and organized at SurveyMonkey? Sure. Um, so I have um, quite a team now. I think we're almost up to 35, almost 40 people on the people team overall. I have a team that's dedicated to talent development and employee engagement. Um, I have a team that's dedicated um, to HR business partner or partnership across the organization with our senior leadership team and their organizations. I have a team that's focused on talent acquisition. Um, I have a team that's focused on rewards and technology um, and supporting our those programs across the organization. Um, and then I also have a team that's dedicated to places. Um, so our uh, real estate um, and the experiences that we build for employees express through our, our buildings. Got it. And, you know, I think looking across those teams, um, one of the things that I've been you know, tracking some of your, your work for the last couple of years, particularly as it relates to 
open source. And I think one of the things that I've appreciated about SurveyMonkey, like most companies that take this approach, is when you're willing to what I call kind of work out loud and share some of the um, not just the why, but the the how and the what behind your work. And and you've been doing that for years now in terms of sharing templates and and resources that you you use internally at SurveyMonkey. So I'm curious, why was that important to you to share um, publicly some of the the information and the programs uh, and even the templates and tools that you were using? Sure. So I think it starts with our mission. SurveyMonkey's mission is to power the curious. And at the heart, all of the templates, the questions we ask, um, the surveys we use internally, um, they all are sparked from curiosity. Um, We also have a survey methodology team in-house. So I have access to survey experts who do a lot of the critical legwork in ensuring that we ask the right questions um, and that we structure our surveys in a way that we're um, seeking the best input in the spirit of trying to get to the best business outcome. So we have those resources at our disposal, which is typically the hardest part of the process for um, other HR practitioners. But we know that uh, across the board, uh, as a use case, it's one of the most prominent use cases HR is for SurveyMonkey as a company. So when you kind of combine all of those together, the power of curiosity, the access to resources, and then the uh, frequency of use across the SurveyMonkey platform, it just made sense to share uh, the work that we're doing to get great input from people outside of SurveyMonkey and to help um, iterate and open source on the work that we're doing. Um, I love nothing more than to see other people using the SurveyMonkey platform and our templates to do similar work. Um, and it builds to our ability to um, benchmark data down the road as well. Yeah, that, that benchmarking aspect definitely uh, definitely is very smart. Um, how do you go about determining what resources you're going to share publicly? Yeah, so it's a it's a work in conjunction with our product and business operations team. Um, you know, they we work closely with them as we build each of the templates, and then they they determine which of our survey or platform packages it makes the most sense to include them in. So, for example, our belonging and inclusion survey is available to all users who have a subscription to SurveyMonkey, whether it's as an individual user or part of an enterprise, Um, whereas some of the other um, templates are more part of of an enterprise-type package. So it's in working in conjunction with our um, business and product team. Got it. And there's a, you know, there's a variety of programs that you've launched that, uh, that I, I want to explore with you on the podcast. Uh, there's some that we won't have time to cover, but one that really kind of stood out to me you know, earlier this year, you, you shared your own personal journey when announcing SurveyMonkey's new fertility and family planning benefit, you know, a, a rare val- benefit even in the Valley. Uh, and I'm curious, you know, for you, why was it important for you to share your own experience when unveiling this initiative? Sure. Well, it was a 
relatively easy decision based on the feedback and input that we had received from employees. So as we go into our open enrollment planning cycle each year, we typically do um, a survey of all employees to look into the satisfaction level with all of our offerings and to learn more about what's top of mind as it relates to their benefits for them. Um, And we'd seen a persistent thread around the topic of infertility over over the past two or three years. So we knew it was um, growing in importance um, and a challenge or an issue that many of our employees were struggling with. So as we looked to identify the right solution to support our employees, um, which we ultimately ended up choosing Carrot, um, and we're ready to roll that out, I just kind of thought back to all of the you know, great insights they had shared through that survey, plus the numerous anecdotal conversations I had in, um, you know, the cafeteria, in the hallway, um, where people were sharing their experience with me, um, and I was able to share my experience with them. And, you know, opening up the conversation and being vulnerable and sharing my experience really allowed people um, to not be embarrassed or um, hide behind the challenge, but rather to embrace it, to ask and seek support, um, and really kind of allowed us to bring it to life in a way that really resonated with people. Um, and it, you know, it it resonated with employees, and yeah, I was open to the idea of sharing in the spirit of helping people understand there are a lot of people that struggle with infertility and there are tools and resources out there um, uh, out there to help, but it really starts with um, being willing to support employees in their journey. Yeah, and what I, what I found so refreshing about your post is something that you just you know, touched on uh, specifically, was just the idea of being vulnerable. And I think that there, uh, you know, when you, especially when you look at some of the contrast between Legacy HR and and twenty first century HR and the profile of a leader, you know that that the ability to really uh, be vulnerable, to be empathetic, to to connect with employees on a personal level is something that uh, that I think is so important. And and I just uh, seeing that uh, that you kind of take that approach when sharing your own story, um, I can just imagine kind of how that connected with your internal teams um, and just their ability to to relate uh, to know that you could relate to to their own experience. Um, one of the programs that you had uh, announced recently was uh, around how you look at different labor types at SurveyMonkey. And I think that this was particularly interesting as we talk about this idea of, of what it means to be uh, your workforce. Uh, when we look at things like the future of work and uh, contingent labor and, and people that are working and have different kind of constructs around what their work looks like, you took a very unique approach to extend benefits coverage to, to some of your partner vendors. And I'm curious to, to kind of learn more about that. What what led you to that decision where you wanted to ensure that some of your partners and vendors were experiencing the same type of benefits that your full-time employees had? Sure. This is actually one of my favorite stories and one of my favorite illustrations of using the SurveyMonkey platform. Um, we you know, as I referred to previously, every year as we go into open enrollment, um, look to seek feedback from the team on how things are working, what's resonating with them, what's not. And at the tail end of 2017, 
we did our annual survey and it was a bit of an embarrassment of riches, to be honest with you. We had really high satisfaction ratings with all of our plans and programs. People were delighted with our plan design, um, felt the cost share was uh, fair and at market. So there really was not a ton to focus on that year. Um, and then we started reading the open-ended questions and started to cull through the uh, cull through employee responses. And in one of the responses, I found that they named three of our janitorial service workers by name and asked if they had benefits on par with what the troop has. The troop we refer to ourselves collectively as the troop, um, and it just kind of set me back um, for a moment and caused me to pause. And I knew the answer to the question was they don't, right? We we have rich competitive benefits and they do not benefit from the same. So we set out on this journey to try to do something about it. So we pulled in our benefit broker and said, look, what would it look like or what could we do to try to set a reasonable standard for in the categories of medical dental vision, time off, and transportation t- support for some of these third-party vendors that we work with on site. They're here every single day. They're often here when we get here in the morning, and they're still here when we leave. They care and contribute as much to the SurveyMonkey experience as full-time employees do. So we did just that. We set out a clear set of standards and decided to start with three of our primary vendors here in our corporate headquarters in San Mateo. And we went directly to those vendors and said, here's what we're trying to achieve. Um, We care enough about it that we're willing to contribute to additional costs associated with it, but are you willing to work with us to achieve this or to make this happen? And the response was, frankly, overwhelming. They were really excited about the effort, couldn't believe that we were willing to make a contribution to it, and really expressed that what had limited them in the past was their ability to navigate the world of benefits. Um, And that's when our broker agreed on a pro bono basis to help them go to market and get plans um, or adjust their plans to meet our standards. Um, and and so and so we did. It was about a two hundred thousand dollar investment from a survey monkey perspective. But um, to be honest with you, it has been probably the single best investment we've made in a long time in this particular category. Um, employees have been delighted by the impact that we've had on the lives of these uh, of these partners. Um, and I think they're really, really proud of us being a small company, but a first mover in this category, as illustrated by at the tail end of last year, we did the top 10 moments of the year in a year when we had gone public, which is kind of a hard um, milestone or moment to beat, and this was this was ranked the number number two best moment of the year in terms of things employees felt proud of. Wow, and, and I can imagine, you know, as you, I think the biggest gripe most employees have with uh, you know annual reviews and and you know employee surveys is that uh, their their feedback isn't 
taken into consideration. And and what better way to show you're listening uh, to employees than to to create uh, this kind of a of a perk? Which again, as you mentioned, first mover, this isn't something that you really see a lot of. And there's a lot of uh, other playbooks that you can uh, kind of call upon to figure out how to go about this. So that's uh, that's very interesting. Um, I think you know one of the key differentiators when you look at 21st century HR and legacy HR is the way that organizations view performance management. And I think legacy, uh, I imagine if you're listening, you've certainly been in this kind of environment before where it's an annual process. It's oftentimes an administrative process. Uh, and I think most progressive people teams are, are moving to much more of an agile approach and they're ditching the annual approach towards different kind of flavors of agile and ongoing performance discussions. And, you know, last year you went through this transformation from annual to an ongoing approach at SurveyMonkey. And so I'd love to just learn a little bit more about that. You know, what, what led you to that decision to finally kind of move, uh, scrap the annual review and move to something that was more agile and ongoing based? Sure. Well, it all started with um, our employee value proposition. In early 2017, we really wanted to put a stake in the ground in terms of articulating our employee value proposition, which is where the employer where the curious come to grow. Um, and we crowdsource that through listening to our employees and really thinking about the employee experience we aspire to deliver to employees in exchange for bringing their time and talents. And part of that promise or that value proposition is being a place where the curious come to grow. And then in putting that in practice, we, um, we asked ourselves the question, what does it mean to be a place where the curious come to grow? And how do all of our programs and practice fit into this employee value proposition? And, you know, once again, what we heard from our employees is this big annual cycle that is backward looking just wasn't doing it for them. They weren't able to see a clear line of sight into the impact that they were having. They certainly didn't feel like it was helping them grow and advance in their career. And it wasn't an opportunity to get aligned and be forward looking um, about how they could focus uh, and the input impact that they could have going forward. Um, so that was really the genesis of it and why we decided to think about reimagining this process. We really wanted something that both worked for employees and was contributing positively to overall business outcomes. Got it. And so when you began designing this, you you leveraged the Neuroleadership Institute SCARF model as your kind of modeling foundation. You know, what were some of the ways that that model informed how you'd structure the program? Yeah, the work with the Neuroleadership Institute was, to be honest, so fascinating. It really, really was. And um, we really wanted to be data-driven, and we really wanted to understand the science behind it. And while we have tons of experience in practice, um, it was important to us to really kind of go to the experts. Um, and I think what the SCARF model really helped us with was understanding why it's failed in the past and why feedback can be such a threatening experience for employees. And you know, the underlying interaction or engagement between employee and leader or manager in in a feedback conversation was really taking away from the employee's ability to 
productively engage in a conversation and to take the feedback and put it into practice going forward so that they could be more impactful. So it really helped kind of root us in the brain science and the feeling or experience of threat employees were experiencing in a more traditional feedback approach. Got it. And so as you went through and you began developing your objectives, you landed on kind of three key objectives around measuring performance, you know, grow and learn, have great impact and win together. When you took those to your employees, how did they resonate? How did they, how did they respond to, to those three objectives? Well, the, the objectives were, again, really driven out of the feedback that we, that we received from employees. Um, one of the most important criteria for them is to grow and to learn. Um, they also want, want to have a great impact on the business, both in the work that they're doing on a daily basis and in the experience our customers are having. Um, and then winning together. It's we, we, you know, we know in this environment, very, very little work is done just by one individual person, but that we win as teams and we win as a collective of people. Um, so, you know, they were really at the heart of what was important to employees, but also aligned with the business outcomes that we were trying to drive, which were really focused on alignment, business outcomes, um, and delivering success from a company objective perspective. Got it. And so what does the the new process look like now that you've you've rolled it out? Um, what is that? How do how do employees experience that? How does that inform kind of how managers and employees um, work together towards performance? Sure. So it it's a three-phased rollout. Um, and we're at about the kind of tail end of phase two, um, with phase three launching towards the end of the year. We refer to the overall program as GIG, G-I-G for short, um, which is growth, impact, and goals. Phase one of the rollout um, was focused on a quarterly gig conversation. So to your point earlier, really kind of getting rid of that annual discussion and moving towards a quarterly discussion that is led by employees and focused on those topics. Um, what was the impact that you've had last quarter? What um, can you learn from last quarter that will help you be more impactful in the quarters going forward? And then lastly, what are your goals for the upcoming quarter? Um, also tying in broad, longer-term goals around professional growth. So that was phase one, um, and we've been doing that almost for a full year now. Um, phase two was to integrate the idea of ongoing feedback, um, and that's where some of the templates we referred to earlier come in. And again, it's self-driven by employees where they're leveraging the SurveyMonkey platform to ask for peer manager um, or manager feedback throughout the year, whether it be at the conclusion of a project, um, you know, a particular launch, a certain deliverable going out, but in those moments to, um, to have the courage to ask for feedback from your peers that you can then weave into not only your work for the remainder of the quarter or the year, but into your upcoming gig conversation. 
Um, and then, like I said, the third phase will be more focused on goals as we, um, more formal goals as we head into 2020. Got it. And so anytime you're, you're making kind of a, uh, an all employee or kind of enterprise wide shift like that, it, it requires some, uh, some, some change management efforts, uh, to say the least from the, the people team and the HR team to support that, you know, how, how did your people team support the, the evolution of the process? Yeah, you're exactly right. The the change management around the change was the heavier lifting of of all of this. The deciding or kind of aligning on what the program design would look like, developing the templates um, were actually the easy part. Um, so it was, I would say, it was a layering effort. You know, we started with growth mindset and introducing the idea of growth mindset and some of the insights from um, the Neuro Leadership Institute to set a foundation of, um, you know, being oriented towards learning and growing and that we can improve, that we don't have kind of a fixed or innate capability set of capabilities. So we set that foundation and then, you know, we layered on as a pilot initially, the quarterly gig, um, and kept reinforcing and providing tools and resources and training um, on the gig model and inviting employees to tell stories about their experience and managers to tell um, stories about their experience and then surveying employees on how it's going and kind of, you know, we, we iterated and practice and iterated and practiced, um, which we continue to do as it becomes more and more ingrained in our kind of ongoing daily behavior and operating cadence. Got it. And I know that uh, that this question is almost unfair because you're still the tail end of phase uh, phase two of a a three-phase effort, but have you been able to measure or notice any uh, impact on employee engagement or kind of retention or any, uh, any internal indicators as to how this shift is is being kind of received by employees? Well, we're starting to see promising results so far. Um, You know, I mentioned we surveyed people and the survey results are showing 95% of employees are saying that they're in sync with their manager on their impact. So we're seeing great alignment there in terms of impact. Also, 80% feel that they're aligned on goals for the upcoming quarter. Um, So even before we formally start working on goals, we're already seeing um, them practice the behavior of getting aligned on goals going forward. Um, Yeah, so we're starting to see really, really great results. And, um, you know, as these are employee-led conversations, employees appear to be getting more and more comfortable. being in the in the lead spot for these with approximately 62% of our employees are saying that they're comfortable leading these quarterly conversations which certainly wasn't the baseline when we started the program so encouraging signs encouraging signs well, that's good well, i'm gonna, i'm going to come back to you uh, in 2020 now once you get phase 3 under your belt to see uh, uh, what that impact is but definitely the internal indicators seem uh, seem trending in the direction you want them so that's great thank you from your perspective, so if I'm uh, I'm a, a CHRO somewhere and I'm working in an organization and I'm listening to this podcast and we have an annual review process that I loathe and I want to follow your your lead and kind of scrap that approach and move to something that is more uh, agile uh, based, what advice would you have for an HR executive that 
is you know kind of at the early stages of making that transition or making the case internally to kind of scrap that annual model? Yeah, I think the the most important or kind of best things that we did um, in retrospect are we got a key stakeholder group of employees. So we had a working group that worked on this reimagination or redesign. So it wasn't just an an HR-led program. It really was one that was anchored in voices from across the organization to design. Um, the work with the, ne- the Neuro Leadership Institute as well was really um, ensured that we got deeper into the brain science and really engaged in the growth mindset and setting and establishing the growth mindset as a really important underpinning of this being successful. So that was a really, really great use of time, resources, and being data-driven and you know, scientific about what we were trying to achieve. Um, and then lastly, is just like, don't underestimate the change management involved. Um, you know, you have to practice and practice and practice and keep talking about it and telling, telling stories about it for it to become part of your, you know, normal operating procedures. Um, change is hard and not, well, they, well, it is what they want going through um, the hard work to, to make change happen uh, is, a, is a lot of work for managers. It's a lot of work for leaders across the organization. So you really just can't underestimate that piece. Yeah, that's uh, that's great advice, and I appreciate you sharing that. Um, you know, I'm I'm curious is uh, as I've kind of framed a lot of the practices that uh, that you've implemented at SurveyMonkey is is 21st century HR practices, and I think things that are aligned with where the field is going. I'm curious to get your perspective. You know, how would you define 21st century HR? Sure. So I I like to think of 21st century HR as characterized by a couple of things. Um, first, it's really focused on business outcomes and how as a as a function and as a group we really add value in driving business outcomes. That is, you know, critically important that you're you're really really well aligned on what the business is trying to achieve. I think it's very um, very, very focused on talent and employee experiences and employee-powered experiences, one that's really, really rooted in great insights and input from the employees that you are um, serving or empowering to do great work. Um, and then the last, I think it's really anchored in data and tech and is enabled by technology. Yeah, I think uh, that's a great summary. Uh, and I think they're all very much kind of contrasting points with, um, I think, the, not just the legacy of more personnel-driven HR, but I think the you know the expectations of those kind of HR teams. And one of the exciting things that I'm sure you, you've seen is that the, um, the expectations from the business of what transformative HR can bring and can add, uh, that, that expectation, that bar is continuing to rise. And so I think it's a it's just an interesting time, and I appreciate you coming on to share some of uh, your own journey and, and kind of what you've built at SurveyMonkey. Um, my last question for you, you know, one of the aims of the podcast is to help listeners discover you know, modern HR approaches, but also people leaders who are kind of leading the evolution of the field. And I'm curious, when you kind of look across your peer set uh, in the field of HR, who inspires you? 
Oh, there's so many great people to take inspiration from. Um, Katie Burke, who I've never met um, yet from HubSpot. I listened to her on your podcast a few weeks back, and I just thought she was so inspirational in the work that she's doing there. So she's one. Mark Levy, who was at um, Airbnb and then at um, Allbirds, I think is so innovative in the employee experience space. And then some of my former former colleagues like Zoe Hart, Kelly Dragovich, Kristen Robinson, who were um, who I spent time with at Yahoo, are all in different companies in technology doing really really interesting work. So. You know, there's so many HR leaders to be inspired from, but then there's also great business leaders like Satya Nadella at Microsoft, who's really embraced the growth mindset and really integrated that into the way that Microsoft operates. So there's inspiration everywhere um, to look at. And I, I just love learning about what other people are doing. Great. Well, Becky, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing your experience and uh, definitely appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure chatting with you, Lars. Thanks for listening to this episode of 21st Century HR. If you want to hear more episodes like this or read stories from the 21st Century HR Fast Company series, go to 21stCenturyHR.com. And if you want to make your podcast just a little more awesome, be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or whatever podcast platform your ears desire. You'll find all the subscribe links on the website. And if you enjoy the podcast, do me a favor and share it with your peers, your network, your boss, and your CEO. Help me get the podcast into the ears of anyone who wants to know what HR and recruiting looks like when done really well. They'll thank you for it, and so will I. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next episode.